0: Jonah chapter 4. If you are a guest with us, we we first of all again love to have you here. We are kind of working through the minor prophets, so each uh, message during this series is an overview of the entire book. So I pray that you'd learn much uh, about uh, Jonah uh, this morning. Well, before the word is preached, what we want to do is we want to prepare our hearts uh, in a visible sign that we are ready to submit to God's word. So at this time, please stand for the reading of God's word. Jonah, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Great God, we come before you now, bringing our requests before you. We thank you that you are a God who hears us. So Father, we pray for the the physical needs of our congregation, we pray for all those who are sick. We pray that you would just be with them, that you would minister to their bodies. God, we pray for continued healing for Fred Justice and Barbara McGurk. We thank you so much for modern medicine and the gift of surgery. We pray, God, that you'd have your your hand upon them. God, we pray for those who have left us. God, we pray for Jeremy and Linda Edens this morning. We pray that you would surround them by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, direct them in your path. Uh, Father, we thank you for... Uh, bringing us so many young people, God, we pray that you would allow them today to continue to be fervent and and disciplined in their studies, God, that you would uh, that they would appreciate that we are a world that uh, a country that allows us to learn about your world. So, God, I pray that you would protect them from the false ideology of, of um, often is pushed forward in our secular education. And God, I pray that you would allow them to learn and be diligent in their studies. Father, we we pray that you would uh, expand uh, your gospel around the world. God, we pray for the gospel in Nigeria today. We thank you so much for how you have grown so many people in that land to love the Lord Jesus. God, we pray that you would protect them from, from false doctrine, the prosperity gospel that is often pushed in in Africa. God, we pray that you would mold and shape preachers there to be bound by your word. As they preach, God, that you would draw them into yourself. God, we also just pray for churches in our, in our local community. Lord, we thank you so much for being in an area where we have the freedom to preach the gospel uh, every Sunday without fear of, of harm. We pray that you would be with Reggie Hopkins this morning as he opens God's word to the people of Calvary. We pray, God, that he would be, be one who is filled with your spirit, who is, who is, who is uh, passionately preaching your word, that he proclaims the gospel of the Lord Christ, that you would draw men uh, to yourself through his preaching. Uh, Father, we pray that you would continue to, to be with uh, the leaders of our nation. God, we pray specifically this morning for our local city council. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom as they govern our, our city. We pray that you would allow them to make wise decisions, that we would be a, a community that is full of love and compassion to those who are hurting. And Father, we ask you now to be with us as we open your word. God, what a privilege it is every week that we get a chance to hear your word uh, being declared. God, I pray now that I would decrease, that you would increase, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be extolled uh, this morning. I pray that you would soften our hearts and be receptive to your word. God, I pray that you would take my words and that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to take uh, my, uh, my words and apply them to the people's hearts in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. So God, we pray that you would send your spirit to convict, to challenge, to encourage, uh, us in the hope of the gospel uh, father we pray that you would make us a people who who love all people God that we would be compassionate to those who look different than us that we would be like the the parable God that we would invite people who are who are blind who are crippled and who are lame into our life God people who are not like us uh, that we would be uh, faithful stewards uh, of your of your gospel so God we know what you know what needs to be said this morning. You know who needs it needs to be said to. So God, I know that you have ordained this time and your by your sovereign will uh, to bring people here. I pray, Lord, that you would convict and encourage all that are gathered in a way that uh, would make the name of the Lord Jesus Christ glorious uh, to all of us. We ask this in, in His name, Amen. Uh, the September 11th attack, terror attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Uh, was a day that radically changed the American landscape. Uh, I remember sitting uh, in history class at the University of Pennsylvania, and the professor told us right when we entered class that a second plane had just hit uh, the second tower. Uh, and when when it did, we didn't know what to do. But we did know at that moment that there was beyond a shadow of a doubt this was a terror attack. And yet what happened after September 11th, that our country's security was was attacked, Get it reinforced this national pride, this great sense to be an American. I remember a week later driving through New York City, and uh, I, I saw an American flag every three seconds. Flags were flying everywhere. We remember those who lost their lives, and we have rededicated ourselves to, to be fervent in our fight against terror. And as we remember that day, it's often we ask the question, where was God on September 11th? And the question is often asked during great calamities. Uh, where was God during Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami in Indonesia? Uh, where is God during the brutal slayings of, of Christians in the Middle East? Where was God in the in the school shootings of, of Columbia and, and Virginia Tech? Where was God in that church in South Carolina? It's an important question to ask, and a very honest one. Granted, many people ask that question with disdain and anger, uh, but others often ask that question out of confusion and, and hurt. And if we're going to be honest, we may have asked that question a time or two in our own lives. The psalmist asked this very same question in the pages of Scripture, Psalm 42, 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Well, we live now in a a, a day of terror. We can't escape it. We face this kind of terror every time we turn on the television. And we may be tempted to ask, God, are you in control? Are you sovereign? Sovereignty means possessing supreme or ultimate power. So in the face of terrible evil... We may be tempted to doubt if God is truly in control. Is God sovereign? Is God able? Does he have the power to control the things in this world? Well, that question I hope we get to to dig into today as we study the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah uh, is interesting because most of the prophets that we study, the minor prophets, have, have prophecy. But Jonah is more a story about The prophet, Uh, those of you who are Christians have often heard the story of Jonah. We immediately think of him spending three days in the belly of a whale. And although Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, perhaps the whale is important to his own life, it's also not the goal of the book. G. Campbell Morgan has aptly said, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. Jonah is a book displaying God's sovereign compassion for the world and teaching a nationalistic, racist prophet of God to love all people. And he does that by showing how he is in control. Some scholars question the veracity of, of this book and try to categorize it as merely a fictional parable rather than true historical event. The book is full of real places and real people and real events. Jesus, the Lord Christ himself, when referring to the prophet Jonah, referred to it as a real historical figure. In an effort to explain away the supernatural, many scholars have come to deny the historicity of this book. But if you, like them, would deny the the true story of Jonah, you would be contradicting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I pray that we would approach this as a real story, a story that actually happened in history. We're going to look at this with five headings. Number one, God sovereignly calls. God sovereignly calls. We see God's sovereign hand very at, the, at the very outset of the book in his calling of, of Jonah. It's he is in control from the beginning to the end. Look at verse number one of chapter one. Now the Lord, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was a great city. It was also a great enemy of God's people. They were known for their brutality and their cruelty. And God knows their sin, as he knows all sin. And he's called one of his specific people, his prophets, to go and speak out against Beloved, it is foolish to think that we can hide anything from God. All sin will be held accountable. Are there sins in your life that you, are, are, that you think that you can hide from God? Rest assured, as it was with the Ninevites, he sees all, and one day he will call you to account. As it is foolish to think that we can hide anything from God, it is also foolish to think that we can hide anywhere from God. This is exactly what Jonah tries to do in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now it was never good when God tells you to do something, and our reply begins with, but... I hear that word often as as a parent. We tell our kids to do something and they say, but daddy. And usually what you hear is excuses coming next. The only thing that should follow a statement that God says is obedience. Jonah, however, went the opposite direction of Nineveh. He He paid his fare, boarded a boat, and attempted to flee God's presence. Jonah, the prophet of God was being disobedient here. Jonah did not want to obey the Lord. But this reveals, as we read at the beginning, the why of Jonah's disobedience. But just for a moment, let's take our eyes off Jonah, and let's, let's look at God's kindness, even in those first few verses. Number one, you know God speaks to his people. Never take that for granted that God speaks to his people. Number two, that God is actively engaged in our lives, God is not passive. He's actually engaged in our lives. He is not indifferent to evil. When God sees evil and He sees it, He will judge it. And God gives sinners an opportunity to turn to Him. He's calling uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh so that the people of Nineveh could return to Him. And lastly, God sends people to warn others of danger. So the fact that not only the Ninevites could respond, but that God sent someone. To warn them of the coming calamity. And as you read the pages of scripture, do not miss the main character of this book and the entire Bible. God is the main character. A God who is full of compassion and zealous for justice. Number two, God sovereignly chases. He calls Jonah. Jonah runs. And what does God do? He sovereignly chases him. The people of Nineveh deserved to be destroyed for their evil. But God was sending a prophet to call them to repentance. Jonah deserved to be cast from God's presence, but God sovereignly chases him with a compassionate love. Beloved, love the but gods of the scripture. Jonah went away from the presence of the Lord, and this is what we read. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to, to light it from them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and was laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that may, that we may not perish. So notice that the Lord sent the wind. God was pursuing a disobedient prophet through the wind and the raging sea. God was in control here. Sometimes the Lord uses circumstances to call us to repentance. Circumstances like 9-11, Katrina, tsunamis. God is is in control of everything. And sometimes he uses those horrific things to call us to himself. Tragedy often exposes the reality that there is a, 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 a brevity of life that one day we will stand account. Do you see the irony of the, of the last verse, part, six, last part of verse 6? These, these pagan sailors were telling the prophet of God to, to pray, to call out to, to God, because he may perhaps allow us not to perish. Well, as the story continues, we see how, how God had already had, um, fought much of these sailors with the wind, And it was not only for Jonah, but it was for these pagan sailors. The sudden power displayed in the wind and the sudden silence of the wind caused these sailors to fear the Lord. Read God's word with me, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what are, what are people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men roared, rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the men recognized that that it was Jonah that caused the storm and his disobedience to God, And and, and they didn't want to throw him in the sea. They they rode back harder to try to get back to, to dry land. But what, the Lord would not allow them. He allowed the seas to continue to rage against them. So the Lord continued to hurl this mighty wind against them. And finally the sailors had no choice. Verse 14. Therefore they call out to the Lord, O Lord, notice that. They didn't call out to small g gods, but they called out to the sovereign Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the demonstration of the Lord's power caused these men, these pagan sailors, to repent and to fear the Lord. What exceedingly great word! God sovereignly chased Jonah here, and he sovereignly chased these pagan sailors. God uses the disobedience of even his own people to bring others to himself. God will use all things to bring about his purposes. When when God brought another whirlwind in Job's life, and God spoke to Job about his, his, his handling and creation of the world, this is how Job responded to the Lord. In, verse, in Job 42, 1 and 2, he says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is in control. None of his plans can be stopped. There is no one more powerful than our God. And again, what do we see? God's kindness is on display again. Number one, God pursues proud, disgraceful prophets. Like God will pursue you. God sent a storm in love rather than a storm in wrath. Now, God could have sent a storm and destroyed the boat. But he sent a storm to call, to call, to woo his people back to himself. Even very simply, God allowed the lot to fall on Jonah. It was God who who handles lots. God gave sailors a sense of an innate sense of justice. They they knew that murder was wrong. They knew that they should not throw him overboard. That was given to them by God. And what? God answered their pleas for mercy. God listened to these sailors. And God caused the fear of the Lord in them. How easy is it for us to miss the hand of God in our trials? Those of you who are dealing with things right now, have you just stopped and said, where is God in all this? Not, God, are you here? But God, show me where you are, because God is always there. Well, three, God sovereignly catches. This is why we know Jonah's book. He's he's heading down to the pit of the sea, but the Lord sovereignly catches this wayward prophet through appointing a great fish to swallow him. Now, do not stare at the fish, but the one who. Who sent it? God put Jonah in the belly of the fish for precisely three days and three nights. Jonah one seventeen. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Many scholars would think that Jonah actually wrote this book because of the intimate details that, that, that happened here. Uh, Some would say that Jonah had a a repentance later on in his life and went back and wrote this book. We don't know, but there's a lot of details here. Precisely three days and three nights. Listen to how Jonah testifies to God being in control. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called unto the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the moment at the roots of the mountains. This is not a, a magical, whimsical movie when, when someone is about to die and their their life is about to, their breath is about to be, to be extinguished, being surrounded by the, the, the weight of water. At that moment, God rescued Jonah. It says, I went down to the land whose bars closed about, upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Beloved, salvation indeed belongs to the Lord. He is sovereign from salvation from beginning to end. He is in control. Fourthly, God sovereignly calls again. It's almost like replay, right? The Lord continues to show his kindness to Jonah. We come back where the book started. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Can we just say for a second, how kind is God to give us second chances? How kind is God to give us second chances? Is there someone in your life that you need to give a second chance to? Jonah saying, The Lord saying to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. But Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So Jonah, after his last experience, wisely chose to obey the Lord. He went to Nineveh, as verse 3 highlights, according to the word of the Lord. He puts that in there very specifically. God had been working on Nineveh long before Jonah had got there. It's been documented in uh, the history of of Nineveh that there was a great famine and uh, a solar eclipse about a year or so before Jonah arrived on the scene. Many believe that the famine and the solar eclipse was a sign of God's judgment against the nation. They were ready and waiting for someone to, to show them the way. They, 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 these events gave the people more willingness to hear and respond to God's message. Even the king, even the king of the land, responded in repentance. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste Anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The people are not calling out to the pantheons of gods of the city, but they're calling out to the one sovereign and true Lord. This message was declared and the people believed. And God was behind it all. God was behind the calling of Jonah. God gave Jonah the message. God was in control of the circumstances of the Ninevites. God prepared their hearts to believe. God saw the change in the hearts of the people. And he did what? He relented from destroying the city. Verse 10. And when God saw what they did, How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God did not repay Nineveh for their sins. But he gave them mercy. Thanks be to God for the mercy he shows sinners. How kind is God to the Ninevites of our world. Lastly, God's sovereign compassion. God's sovereign compassion. This mercy that God has extended to the Ninevites was the very reason that Jonah ran in the first place. It was not because he thought the task was too hard. It's just he did not want to show compassion. God's sovereign compassion given to his enemies and God's people's response to that compassion is the purpose of this book. So this book is primarily not about a a great fish. This book is about a merciful God and a merciless prophet. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah was angry with God. And God showed mercy. Have you ever questioned God's compassion? Why did God show mercy to those people? Why was God so kind to them? Jonah was blind to the kindness of God in his own life. Jonah was disobedient, and God sovereignly chased him and caught him. He was rescued by God's grace when he was about to drown, and he does not want that same sovereign grace to be extended to his enemies. He knows of God's mercy, but yet he does not truly know God's mercy. Jonah has forgotten how God brought him salvation from the belly of the fish. This week, I listened to a sermon by John Piper. It was preached over 30 years ago on this very passage. His emphasis was just as applicable today as it was then. Hear his words Jonah was a racist, hyper nationalist. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would have mercy on his enemies. He didn't want their repentance. He wanted their doom. Quite contrary to the spirit of Jesus, he did not have goodwill towards his enemies. He was not about to bless those who used to curse him. He was a hardliner, and God was too soft. Jonah doesn't like the free mercy of God. It calls his supremacy into question. What could make a Baptist clansman angrier than to have to offer God's mercy to a black community? What could make a nationalistic American angrier than to have to bear the news of divine forgiveness to Tehran or Moscow or Syria? The lesson that God was trying to teach Jonah and us through him is that God loves to show mercy and that we, his people, should do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with our God. It is implied in the very word mercy that no racial or ethnic or national barriers can disqualify a person from God's love and our love. And sadly, I think there's too many Jonas in our Baptist churches across America. Jonas who care more about America's borders than than the borderless mercy of God. Jonas who have forgotten the mercy of God towards them in their sin. Jonas who want to preserve past traditions rather than to pursue those who are far from God. God desires his people to love mercy. And he hoped to expose Jonah's racist, merciless heart, as he does to all of us. Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah went out to the city, to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up, up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. The same exceedingly in, in the way the, the, the sailors feared the Lord. But when the next, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for she did not labor nor did not make grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And I should not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The book ends with a question. Should I not pity Nineveh? That question should make us think about the Ninevehs in our life. We may not be indignant or angry or arrogant like Jonah but we may be indifferent. Do we trust that God is sovereign? Do we trust that he is good? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Unless the one who has absolute power is incorruptible. That is our Lord. God is the only sovereign. The gracious God who is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. But we must always remember that God has compassion for the lost. We were once like Nineveh, not knowing our right hand from our left. We were like the pagan sailors, bowing down to false gods. We were like the wayward prophet, not knowing God's mercy. We were lost. So God chased us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate true compassion. Matthew nine thirty-six. when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. But thanks be to God that our shepherd, the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. It's the the, the epitome of compassion. God gave his life, shed his blood for us. He died the death we deserve. His life was offered for us, for ours. Have you experienced this mercy? Have you experienced this great mercy of God? We all need mercy, and God has offered it to us in Christ. The great Puritan Richard Sibbs has said, "There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is no sin too great, beloved, that the mercy of Christ can overcome. Jonah shows us God's gracious compassion to pursue the disobedient prophets, pagan sailors, and the people of Nineveh. Friend, beloved, God's gracious pers- compassion is pursuing you. Can you see it? Can you see his mercy being extended to you? Jonah spent three days in the belly of the great fish. Then he spent three days walking around Nineveh and teaching in the city. The salvation of Jonah took three days. The salvation of Jonah's enemies took three days. Jesus said to this is a sign of the resurrection. Matthew chapter 12, 39-41. Jesus said to the Pharisees, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the, gener- at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Beloved, Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth, to offer salvation to all God's enemies. Jonah foreshadowed the resurrection of Jesus that, that opened salvation to all people. He was declared to be the Son of God, empowered by his resurrection from the dead. And we are called, like Jonah, to be witnesses of that resurrection. God had pity for the people of Nineveh, who were far from God. And God had pity on us when we were far from God. So Jonah ends with a question. Should I not pity Nineveh? God showed his compassion, his sovereign compassion to all kinds of sinners in this book. Beloved, And if, if God showed his compassion on all kinds of sinners, shouldn't we, shouldn't we, I pray that we would be a church that is known for a boundless, abounding mercy extended towards sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for pursuing and rescuing Jonah. God, we thank you that you did not put your judgment upon Jonah for his anger. And as you said to him, do you do well to be angry, God? We ask ourselves, is there anything in our lives that we are angry at you about? That we are angry how you extended your compassion or your mercy on anybody. Oh God, I pray that this congregation would be known for mercy. That we would be known for love. That we would be known for compassion. That all kinds of sinners would be welcome here in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.